0: Gospel of Matthew, reading from chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, Matthew 25, found on page 1542 in your pew Bible. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in I needed clothes and you did not clothe me I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me they also will answer Lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you he will reply I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Cheryl. We're on week two of a a two-week sermon series on the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not murder. Real summertime cheer, right? This week, as we talk about it, we're, we're going to look at, at uh, the second part of what the Heidelberg Catechism teaches about it, which is, is drawing us into a way of living that seeks the flourishing of others or the well-being of other people. And to enter us into this space, I want to tell you just briefly about a friend of mine named Frank. Frank was uh, retired when I met him. Uh, and he used to drive bus on these long trips, kind of tour bus driver. He enjoyed it. He was very extroverted, loved just meeting people and talking to people. And, and Frank, Frank, as I was talking with him and getting to know him a bit, told me that his eyes were starting to go. That was his wording on it, my eyes are starting to go. And over the course of a couple of years, they kept deteriorating to the point that he, he needed to have something done or he would go blind. And his doctor actually found a way to do an eye transplant. And so Frank had an eye transplant. And and a couple weeks after the surgery, everything went well, and he had the patch off again. And he looks at me and goes, you notice anything different? Had this fun sense of humor with him. But then as we got talking, he started using a phrase that has stuck with me, and he would say, I'm always looking through someone else's perspective. Ooh, yeah, I'm always looking through someone else's perspective. That's really what's at the heart of what's going on in this text and, and what we're called to do in, in response to that command, do not murder. It's actually not just do not, not murder, it's go and seek the well-being of others. Look at where they're at and look through at life through their perspective. See what they need, see how you can come alongside them And if, if you dare, dare to see the image of God in them. The Heidelberg Catechism question and answer here goes this way. Is it enough, then, that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? The answer is no. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Tall order, right? I mean, it really is a tall order that goes right alongside that passage that Cheryl just read for us of, of coming to that day and and standing before Christ and him saying, you loved me when you took care of and listing all of them, the hungry, the thirsty, right? It's a tall order that provokes in us this big question. When did we see you, Lord? When did we see you? And, and if you listen to that text carefully or if you go back and read it again, you'll notice that, that both the righteous and the unrighteous ask that same question. When did we see you? It, this whole text is, is drawing us into a place of, of checking our vision, how we look at the world around us, and particularly how we look at other people. How do we see them? Who do we see in them? You know, when I hear Jesus list there as he's going through Matthew 25, I start getting all sorts of questions that make me sound like that, that, uh, that teacher of the law who went to Jesus and said, but who is my neighbor? Remember that story? Teacher of the law comes before Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him to keep all the commands. And as they're going along, Jesus summarizes that law and says it's, that law is love God and love your neighbor. And, and it says the teacher wanting to justify himself asks the question, who is my neighbor? And to be honest, that question, that question feeds into our reading of, of Matthew 25. And, and here's some of my gut responses as, as I start going through that list. Take care of the hungry. But what if they had a poor work ethic? Right? I mean, what if they're hungry because they're lazy? Anybody else? Ah, You don't have to raise your hand. Thirsty. But What if they're a drunk on the street? Stranger. What if they speak a different language for me and I can't communicate with them? clothes. But what if they gambled away everything they owned including the shirt on their back? Sick. But what if they had engaged in risky behaviors that got them sick? In prison. But what if they actually committed a crime and deserved to be in jail? Isn't that how we approach it? Isn't that how we approach other people who are caught up and entangled in circumstances that are different than our own? We we kind of want to take this posture that somehow they've deserved to be there and they should feel the consequences of their choices. And, and we stiff arm them and we ignore them and we walk past them and we say, Yeah, but this is the exception. I don't have to be a neighbor to them because they deserve what they're getting. It's too difficult for me to communicate with them. We kind of keep that arm length distance. You notice though, Jesus doesn't care about those exceptions. Nowhere in this text does he call us to pay attention to those things. In fact, he doesn't highlight any of that. He just says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. He doesn't care what the reason was that ended up getting the people where they are. He just says this is the condition that you encountered them in and showing up and being present with them. You were present with me. When did we see you? John Calvin, I think in one of the most brilliant points in his Calvin Institute's He says this because he's getting after this call that all of us have as, as people who have received mercy from God to go out and love others and serve others. And he writes this, The Lord enjoins us to do good to all without exception, though the greater part, if estimated by their own merit, are most unworthy of it. Translated into more contemporary English, even if everybody doesn't deserve it, we're still called to go and love them we're still called to go and love them. And this is why Scripture subjoins a, a most excellent reason when it tells us that we are not to look to what men and themselves deserve, but to attend to the image of God which exists in all and to which we owe all honor and love. It says in another part, it doesn't matter how vile the person is, they cannot be vile enough that the image of God would be taken from them. may be diminished, it may be distorted, but that's the reality for all of us. None of us bear God's image fully and faithfully. We are all distorted image bearers, and when we encounter another distorted image bearer, our call is to look at them and look intently until we see with another perspective, not theirs, but Jesus' to look at others until we see them with Jesus' eyes, that they too are children of God, that they too bear God's image, that they too are ones who are beloved by God for whom Jesus Christ died. A little while later in that same section, Calvin says this, In this way only we attain to what is not to say difficult, but altogether against nature, To love those that hate us, render good for evil and blessing for cursing, remembering that we are not to reflect on the wickedness of men, but look to the image of God in them, an image which covering and obliterating their faults should by its beauty and dignity allure us to love and embrace them. Calvin's saying here, it's not just difficult, it's impossible in our own nature. Because when someone does wrong to us or does wrong by our standards, we have a natural impulse to push them away and want nothing to do them. In fact, we want to condemn them. And yet, because they bear God's image, we are called to love them. Love your enemies. It's hard, isn't it? When did we see you? Frank taught me something. He earned the nickname "Missionary to Meyer." Anybody know what Meyer grocery store is. It's a big chain in the Midwest of the United States, lots of groceries, lots of other things you can buy there. It's kind of Walmart style with groceries and, and all sorts of other stuff. Frank would go to the Meijer that was across the street from his house and inevitably he would end up in some hour plus long conversation. His wife told me that she quit shopping with him because he was always getting in some conversation with someone in the store. And I, I would not be surprised if 20 different employees from Meyer ended up in our worship service at some point or another because of Frank. Frank would stand there in the checkout lane and people would start leaving and going to other checkout lanes because he would strike up the conversation with the cashier or he would ask to see the, the manager on duty so he could just start talking to them and he would thank them for the employees and thank them for what he had experienced in the store and then he would start talking to them about his church and why he's there and, and then start talking to them about, hey, why don't you come with me? Frank brought more diversity into our white upper middle class church than anyone else did. He sought people out. He saw them as children of God. He saw them many times as children of God who had wandered away and were lost, and and Frank was committed to pouring himself into them no matter what. Multiple times he said, Hey, Chris, I need you to come over for dinner this week. I've got a few people coming and we'd show up and Frank had him welcome people into his home people he had only met at Meyer two days before (laughs) it showed me in very real way that this isn't just pie in the sky that Christ calls us to this is actually a way of life that is possible as I started to look through Frank's eyes (laughs) I started to understand more of what this text is calling us to calling us to be a people who love others not because they deserve it but because Christ has poured his love into us. To pour ourselves out into others because Christ has sought us out. To pour ourselves into others so that they would experience the same love that we have experienced and received from God that we didn't deserve it. That we were hungry and thirsty and naked and sick and in prison or wherever God found us that God reached out to us and said, I see you. I've not forgotten about you. I've not overlooked you. I remember you, and I call you back to myself through my son, and I'm willing to pay any cost that's needed in order to bring you home. Philippians 2 has this passage in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Maybe we should say have the same set of eyes as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross in a few moments we're going to taste that we're going to remember how deep God's love for us was how he was willing to sacrifice everything of his in order that we might enter the fullness of life with him and as we taste it as we experience that love of God in a small but tangible way we're we're being called to, to adopt a new set of eyes. A set of eyes that see the world as Jesus did. People who are beloved by God, people who are injured and wounded, people who are far off from God, people who are so full of themselves they don't see that they need God. And yet we are called to be the neighbors to them and to love them as Christ loved us. It's really what it means to not murder. It's not just don't go out and kill, and we can say to ourselves, Well, I survived today. I didn't kill my classmate or my roommate or my brother or sister or my coworker, right? It's actually going one step further. It's saying, I loved my neighbor. I loved my sibling. I loved my coworker. I loved my classmate as Christ loved me. To love our neighbors as ourselves. Be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them. To protect them from harm as much as we can. And to do good even to our enemies. Because when we were Christ's enemies, he died for us. Let's pray. So often, Lord, we look at your grace as the forgiveness you have given us to make us right with you. And we overlook the grace that you give us and call us into where you make us right with others and enable us to love others as you have loved us. Help us, Lord, to let go of whatever gets in the way of loving our neighbors. Whatever excuses we put in the way, help us to let go of them that we might wholeheartedly live from now on for you, with your eyes, with your hands, with your feet. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Invite us, in response to God's word, to stand and sing together, In Christ There Is No East or West. Please stand as we sing.